The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord. When I will send a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water. But a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord. But they will not find it. Amos, the eighth chapter, verses 11 and 12. There's only one reason they can't find the word of God, and that is because the word of God is no longer being proclaimed in the land. Instead, a false word is being proclaimed that has no power to turn from sin, a false word that does not lift up Jesus Christ as our only answer. The day will come when men will search for that word, but it will not be available for you. 
America is past the point of no return. Today, I'm urging you to keep your eyes on the big picture. Don't be distracted because everything you have known as America is fast melting down. Every day, food is more expensive. There is drought. There are fires. The far left is screaming for the right to murder their babies. Our leaders have turned aside. They are against God. They have brought every unclean and perverse thing into the city square. Now is the time to see God's judgment on our nation and to repent for our very real and obvious sin. God's judgment is now beginning to be poured out. First, there is a famine for the honest word of God. And then there is famine that causes our bellies to shrivel and our bodies to die. And it's all because of sin. Sin is a hideous thing. There is nothing beautiful about sin. It's very seductive as it begins. But how many times have I seen a man or a woman who has walked in a life of sin as they die ugly, angry, deluded, hopeless, And their bodies are twisted and their faces are ugly. Sin is a hideous thing. It's filled with violence and rage. It's filled with cunning deception. Sin is filled with every Ugly thing imaginable, lying, cheating, stealing, sexually filthy. Sin is a hideous thing. And sin must be done away with. We cannot enter heaven's gate and be filled with this hideous thing called sin. Sin must be washed away by the blood of Jesus now in this present life, or it will never be wiped away, and God's judgment will destroy you. You must make a decision now. Now, sin today for many of you seems like a casual thing oh we're all sinners we're just doing the best we can no you're not doing the best you can (coughs) the best you can is to give yourselves totally and completely into the hands of God And let him, by faith, make you into a new creature in Christ. This is not a self-help process. This is the supernatural work of God as he comes into a life willing to receive. And he transforms us into his likeness. In Romans, the sixth chapter, there is a statement that is stunning, but we must hear it. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you been in the hospital or have you been in the sick room? 
Have you watched a person die? Have you seen that all that is left is an empty shell? That they're gone? That they have departed the body and the body slowly turns cold? And by the time the morgue arrives with their bags, their body bag and the and the gurney, and they load your loved one onto that gurney. Sometimes people say, please, don't cover my loved one's face. Others say, please cover their face. And they take the body away to be buried or to be burned, cremated. Sin is death. And if you do not turn from your sin, this will be your final end. Burned. Dead. Ugly. Cast away. And your spirit will be burned until there is nothing of you recognizable. Now, there's a story in Scripture that talks about this starvation issue. It's not a pretty story. I need to warn you ahead of time. But it is what is coming to America. First comes the spiritual apostasy, and that is rampant across America. The wicked men like Chuck Schumer. The wicked men like President Biden, and many others. They are leaders who have utterly deceived America, along with others and pastors. And Hollywood, until America has been led into utter darkness, and next comes the famine. Mainstream media, even the U.S. government is warning, put food away and prepare because things are going to become very, very difficult in America. Well, in Scripture, in Second Kings, the sixth chapter, there is the story of the king of Aram, Ben-Hadid, He mobilizes his entire army and he marches up and lays siege to Samaria. Samaria is the capital of Israel. At this time, Israel and Judah have separated. The siege lasted, that is, they blocked all access to food or water. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head was sold for about two pounds of silver. Would you eat a donkey's head? Would you make a stew out of it? How ugly. A dove's dung was sold for five shekels to make soup with, hoping that there might be some nutrition in it. Famine is horrible because the whole body begins to shut down. Oh, you could fast maybe for 30 or 40 days, But beyond that, the body begins to eat itself. It is an excruciatingly painful way to die. The king of Israel, he's walking on top of the wall that is keeping the army of Aram out of Samaria. And a woman cries out to him, 
and says, Help me, my lord, help me. The king replies, If the lord does not help you, where where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? And then he backs off and he says, Okay, what is it? Now I'm going to read this from scripture because I don't want you to say I'm speaking without any sensitivity. This is what the scriptures actually say. She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat your son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so that we may eat him. But she has hidden him. Can you imagine cannibalism to survive? It's happened many times in history. It happened in Jamestown. It happened in a pass where they were snowed in with their wagons as they went west. They had to eat their dead in order to survive. Today, we read about celebrities carrying on which evil rituals where they drink one another's blood. Cannibalism. It's an ugly, ugly thing. When the king heard the woman's words, he tears his robe. And the people looked, and there underneath his royal robes, his body was covered with sackcloth. That is, he had humbled himself before Almighty God, and he recognized he had no possible hope of delivery. He was not distracted by this cannibalism. He He knew his only hope was in God, but he was a wicked man. And it was a wicked people. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha remains on his shoulders today. In other words, he blamed Elisha for the famine. We know from the book of Revelation in the sixth chapter, chapter 6, verse 5, when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. He's saying there is coming a time of great hunger. This is a judgment opened by God, opened by Jesus on the world to bring about the final climax that would result in the one world government arising. That the beast power would come and take charge. If you look at verse 7, the lamb opened the fourth seal And I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, plague, and by the wild beasts of the field. In other words, after the famine, after times become exceedingly difficult, The next step is death, disease, even more serious famine and plague. But also what comes next 
is for people to turn against those honest and sincere Christians and to blame them and say it's their fault because they would not go along with our agenda. It's their fault. Kill them. If you want to see an example of that happening right now, look at how the left is responding to the brief from last February for the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. Poor law. It's not in the Constitution that a woman has the right to murder her baby. That's not a constitutional issue. We're to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for the baby in the womb as well. They're humans. But we see the bitterness and the rage and the rioting threatening people's lives until the Supreme Court has now gone into hiding because they're being threatened. They can't even stay in their homes because crowds are gathering and they're fearful that they will be killed. The Supreme Court has been walled off with iron fences. Imagine what will happen when famine is rampant in the land and people are starving to death and they're going to look for scapegoats and Christians will be the comfortable scapegoat for them to come against them to murder and kill and maim. That's what will happen in America and in many parts of the world. Christians will be utterly hated because they would not go along with the wicked agendas that the political leaders demanded. So this man wants to kill the prophet of God. He blames Elisha for creating the famine. But Elisha did not create the famine. The famine was created by their own wickedness. And it's God's judgment upon them. Now we find in chapter 6 of Second Kings, now Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a messenger ahead but before he arrived Elisha said to the elders don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head look when the messenger comes shut the door and hold it against him is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him And while he's still talking to them, the messenger comes down to him. And the king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, about seven quarts of flour will sell for a shekel. That's about two-fifths of an ounce. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? You will see with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. This wicked man is trying to sow unbelief, an even deeper unbelief in the heart of this wicked king. And judgment is pronounced against him. Now, there were four men with leprosy or some kind of skin condition, they were not allowed to enter into the city. 
They couldn't go home. They were lepers. They instead were camped at the entrance of the city gate. The gates, of course, were tight closed. They were hanging between death and death. And they said to each other, why should we, why should we stay here until we die? They were dying of starvation. No one was feeding them. We'll go into the city. The famine is there and we'll die in the city. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. What an utterly hopeless position to be in. No matter what you decide, you're going to die. So why don't we take the best option? And if they kill us, we'll die quickly. And our starvation will end. Dead men don't hurt. So they make the decision to go out to the people of Aram, to the armies, and beg for mercy. So just at dusk, they get up from the city gate, and they went to the camp of the army that was surrounding the city. When they reached the edge of the camp, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused this great army to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptian king to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk, and they abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Now the men who had the leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered into one of the tents. There they ate and drank and carried away silver and gold and clothing, and they went off and hid it. Then they returned and entered another tent, and there they took the same thing, and they hid that also. And then their conscience began to hurt them, and they said, Look, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Now, I have to tell you, I like these four lepers. They're realists. They recognize that if they stay where they're at, they're going to die. They need to risk and cast themselves on God's mercy. And so they do so. And when they arrive at the camp, the whole army has run for their lives. God must have really good sound effects. They're terrified. And they begin selfishly grabbing what they can grab and going out and hiding. And I'm sure they were very poor. I'm sure their clothes was in ragged condition. And so they take what they need and go and hide it. But then their conscience begins to bother them. And they announce this good news to the watchman of the city gate that they went into the camp and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted this news and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what they've done to us. They know we're starving. So they've left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out and then we'll take them alive and get into the city. 
one of his officers made the suggestion, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. I'm sure they've eaten all the others. Their plight will be like that of all of the Israelites left here. They'll only be like all of the Israelites who are doomed. So let's send them out to find out what's happened. I want you to see this. They are utterly hopeless and unable to deliver themselves. And yet God, in his incredible mercy, is delivering them even without serious repentance, simply because God can't stand their pain one moment longer. These are his people. He loves them. And in his great mercy, he brings an astonishing deliverance that they might know his love. Romans tells us that God's love is meant to lead us to repentance. To finally begin to take sin seriously and turn from it. And let Jesus make us into new creatures, into new people. The heart of God was willing for Jesus to die on the cross because of our sin. Now, sin is not a casual thing. We think it's casual because we don't meet immediate punishment for our wickedness. These people were in a desperate starvation situation where they needed God to come and deliver them or they were going to all die. This is what America is rushing into. This nation has melted down in its utter wickedness, in our utter disdain for a holy and righteous God. So you think you can fornicate and there's no consequence other than maybe you'll get pregnant. You think you can lie and it's okay. You think you can harm another person and if you can get away with it, with words that are like daggers, it's okay. If you want a drug or drink, it's all right. It's party time. Live your own life. Live it the way you want to live it. But there is a day of judgment, and you are earning wages. Romans, the second chapter, tells us you are storing up the wrath of God for the final day of judgment against yourself. Everything that you've done is recorded, and you will face it at the judgment. And death will be the result. You will be sentenced to be bound. And powerful angelic beings, we're told in Revelation, will pick you up and cast you into the lake of fire where the devil has been thrown and where the beast power and where the image to the beast has been cast Sin is not casual. You remember the story of Belteshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, in that great hall? Can you hear the raucous laughter? Can you hear the party time going on as they take the golden, the golden cups from the tabernacle of God and drink to their evil gods that they worship. And that hand suddenly begins to write on the wall, Meni, Meni, Tickle, you farsen. 
you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. And Daniel tells him, your kingdom is taken from you this very night. And that night, the king was killed. And the Medo-Persians came in and took over. It was over. Who will come into America? Will it be the Russians or the Chinese or both and take over our nation? Killing and maiming and destroying wicked men and women who have not put their confidence and their trust in Jesus Christ. We are slouching toward destruction as a nation. It is visible on every hand. First, a famine for an honest word of God because the pastors lost their backbone and won't preach an honest word to the people rebuking for sin and calling them to leave their sin. Instead, the preachers are saying, you can't lose your salvation. They're saying, God loves you unconditionally. They're saying... It's okay if you walk in your sin. You're saved. Wrong. It's this kind of weak-minded theology that will cause many to be cast into the fires of hell. And the pastors are the ones who have taught this. The theologians, so-called. The wages of sin, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans, the sixth chapter, the last verse, the wages of sin are death. How could it be more simple than that? If you continue to live in your sin, you will die. It is not a sentimental issue. It is a judgment issue rendered by Almighty God who paid the price and died for us to open an avenue into righteousness, that is, into Jesus himself. And if we choose to continue walking in our sin, we cannot enter into Jesus. How can sin enter into Jesus? Impossible. So this story, they went into the camp. No one was there. The gatekeeper shouted the news. They went out looking. What they found was The army had fled, casting aside clothing and implements of war, even their swords and their spears. And so the people went out and plundered the camp of the army of the enemy. And flour was abundant and food was abundant. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate. And the scriptures say, And the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. It happened as the man of God had said to the king. The officer had said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? And the man of God had replied, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. And that's exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. Well, the word of God to you and to me is that the wages of sin are death. And that word is absolute. 
There is a sentence of death on every man and every woman, whether they know it or not, who continues to walk in rebellion and sin against Almighty God. Now, sin has been defined classically as harmatia, that is, missing the mark. That is not the biblical definition of sin. We find the biblical definition of sin in First John, and we find it is rebellion against God. That is, it is a voluntary choosing against the word of God to do what I want to do. There is a voluntary element necessary for sin to be sin. It is a rebellion and a refusal to follow after Jesus Christ and allow him to transform my life and change me into a righteous man. Now, I was told as a boy, Ray, just try harder. Well, I tried as hard as I could, and I couldn't do it. That's why Oswald Chambers, that wonderful man of God, many years ago said, the only thing you can trust in a man is what God has done in him. Have you allowed God to do that work of transforming your life, making you into a new creature, causing all sin to cease? Do you walk, as I shared with you yesterday, the story of Charles Finney, without any awareness of your sin because you are walking in absolute peace, knowing that God has removed the sin from you. He's removed the charge of death against you. He has brought you into his kingdom. He has restored you and renewed you. He has forgiven you for your sin. That is, he has lifted off of you the sin. You cannot be forgiven and still maintain and own your sin. If you say, I repented, and you go back to that sin, you did not repent. You may have said you were sorry. You may have apologized. You may have said, I'll try to do better next time. And then you failed. No, to repent is to have an afterthought recognizing that what I am doing is leading me directly into confrontation with a holy God and he will cast me into hell. God will have no mercy on a sinner on the day of judgment. The time for mercy is now. Now, some of you have said to me, Pastor, what do we do to be safe? Babylon is rising. The beast's power is rising. What do we do to be safe? You be one with Jesus and do what he tells you to do. And you go where he tells you to go. And if it's for you to forfeit your life in the physical realm, you have a spiritual life that is alive and well. And you're blessed because you get to go there much more quickly than some of us. We trust Jesus. We are transformed by Jesus. We are made into new creatures. My only hope is in Jesus Christ. And he has given me the power to repent of all sin, to be transformed and changed into his likeness. And I praise God for the freedom I find in my Lord and my Savior. I I rejoice in the peace of God in my heart, that can be yours. The peace of God is there for you, but it's not there for you in the flesh. You have to repent before Almighty God and pray and pray and pray, if necessary, until the supernatural work of grace is done in your heart and you are delivered and set free, and that thing can never grab you again. I take God's side against my flesh. I stand against the devil. As it says in Peter, I stand against 
the devil. And I stand for Jesus Christ. He is the joy of my heart. He's everything to me. He is my food. He is my water. He is my house. He is my transportation. He is the love of my heart. When you sin in the spirit, a dark shadow begins to cover over your mind and blind you to the beauty of Jesus. I will not tolerate a dark cloud of darkness from the demons of hell covering over my heart or my mind or my spirit. I am free in Jesus Christ. He is everything to me. Now, is that your testimony? Are you being honest? Is the joy of the Lord your life? Are you caught in the busyness of this world and the fighting of this world and the trying to get ahead in this world? Are you exhausted? Remember, Jesus said in Revelation 3 to the church at Laodicea, you are wretched. That is, you are exhausted. You are beat up. You don't know which way to turn. The way to turn is to the prayer closet. To cry out before God until he has heard your prayer and has answered you. Now, let's pray. Lord, I know that famine is coming by your hand to America. First, the famine is already here for the word of God. Men and women are starving for the lack of the word of God. And many don't even know it. Spiritually, they're dead and dying. And there's no spark of life that's crying out for more of Jesus. They're like the world, but they're called Christians. And then, Lord, I know you're bringing physical famine to America, where men and women will not be able to afford the food, and there will be a time of great turmoil and rioting, and murder, a time of great darkness. And I know that's the time when you've said in Isaiah 26, go into your house, close the doors, lock them, close the windows, and wait on my deliverance. Lord, I see what's coming, and it's terrifying. And I see that America is coming to the end and that America will be no more. And it will be absorbed into that beast power that will have ten horns, seven continents. And it will put its stamp on every place and demand with the mark of the beast that everyone worship and obey. And I know, Lord, any Christians who are still in the world will not obey, and they will not accept the mark. Lord, I know we are right at the close of this age. We're at the close of America. We will experience war on our land and many will be killed with violence and famine and disease and wild animals 
And yet I know this nation will not turn and repent. And you will have to bring this nation to final judgment. But Lord, I'm praying for those men and those women whom you have called, whom you know, who have a hunger in their heart for you. I ask that you break every deception in their mind. Lord, some are in total disobedience to you, but you love them and you've called them and you know they'll respond. Lord, I ask that you would lift up in this nation a standard of righteousness and holiness against this flood of vile evil that is taking over this nation. Lord, I plead your blood for your people. And I plead for revival to break out among your chosen. And I stand and wait for your deliverance. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Tomorrow will be a day of prayer. I welcome you to call and pray. To pray for America and pray for God's people. To pray for revival. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in Jesus and the gift of repentance. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thank you, each one of you. Gloria, thank you. We just received your gift, your offering for the Lord. Thank each one of you who has been so kind in responding in the love and care of the gospel of Jesus. I know this broadcast needs to go nationally. I don't know how to do that yet. I'm waiting on the Lord. A standard of righteousness must be lifted up in this nation against the vile evil that is flooding our country. I also invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find there many resources that will help you in your journey with Jesus. Nationalprayerchapel.com. You're also welcome to come and worship with us. If your heart is hungry for Jesus and not filled with foolishness, you want an honest word with honest people, then I invite you to come. You can find that information on our webpage. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Present you blameless before the presence of His glory.